Welcome to 10 Minute TechCon, coming to you from the University of Alabama in Huntsville. It's our pleasure today to welcome Maxwell Hoffman. He's a technical communication evangelist with Adobe Systems, and he's here to tell us a little bit about his work and what it entails to be a technical communication evangelist. Welcome to the podcast, Maxwell Hoffman. We're really excited to have an official Adobe technical communication evangelist on the show. And I'd love to know a little more about what you do, what kinds of things you take on. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I focus on the technical communication space. The three main products are probably FrameMaker, RoboHelp, and Captivate. Mm -hmm. So essentially, I'm to some degree a public face of the product, but the primary duties are basically creating different types of materials that people can discover through search that are text-oriented or graphic or video-oriented. In a normal week, I usually do about two uh, online webinars Mm -hmm. per week. What I also do is I uh, typically record at least two videos per week. These are brief videos. They range from 90 seconds to, on the long end, maybe about five minutes. And they usually focus on one product aspect or one challenge, and it's just a simple Captivate video. It's just narration and a few pop-up labels, nothing glitzy. I also do blogs. The blogs will occasionally be sort of an op-ed piece, but most frequently the blogs are, again, challenge and solution. We mix our assets, so many times the blogs will make references to the videos. So what I'll sometimes do is create, uh, I'll sometimes sort of jokingly call it a TV guide, it's like a, a TV, TV guide to tables, you know, and I'll have a link to five different uh, videos about tables, but it'll also talk about things to avoid when you're doing tables for language translation where text expansion can, you know, make you run off the page or something. And then we also do white papers, and then beyond that, less frequently, I don't really do a lot of travel. Most of it's mm-hmm. virtual travel, but I do go to probably four or five conferences a year where frequently I'm a speaker. And the final component uh, that is important, but it's, it's, it's not at the top of the list, is social media. I do quite a bit with uh, Twitter. Believe it or not, LinkedIn, which would not be uh-huh. at a lot of people's top list, but right. we've actually found, at least in our experience, for the very serious technical communication crowd, we actually get more results from LinkedIn than we do from Facebook. All right, fantastic. And what kinds of audiences do you interact with, and what do you tell them about what technical communication is and what, what it can do? Yeah, that's an excellent question, uh, Ryan, because a lot of times, uh, let's say it's a webinar, you know, you know uh, uh, the webinar, of course, has a description when somebody registers for it. And I guess I would put it this way, I communicate maybe with about three different types of audiences. Mm-hmm. One of them would be, uh, the traditional name would be beginner. I don't like that word. It would be somebody who's new to the product and maybe even new to TechCom. Many people are doing TechCom and they don't know it. You know, they're <laughs> out there doing everything with Microsoft and Excel and they're actually creating something that passes for documentation. But, but I will have some assets like videos and webinars that will say, this is for, you know, this is if you're completely new to whatever. Probably the majority of them are kind of for an intermediate experience level. You know, somebody who's either seen or used the product but they don't consider themselves advanced. And then a minority of the assets I create are what I call deep dive. And I usually have that word in there. That's sort of like if you, you know, if you fairly well have mastered these products, here's something you may not have thought of. So it's, it's kind of those audiences. There is a fourth audience out there that I try to reach in different and unique ways. And, the, and the, those are people who have never heard of us. They've never heard, they've heard of Adobe, but they haven't heard of this product family. They're not self-identified tech com content creators or writers or whatever. You know, they're just mm-hmm. doing the work. They're often struggling with tools that came bundled on their laptops. Sure. You know, they didn't, they've never been, been allowed to purchase something designed for them. It seems like some of your work, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of people are doing tech com and don't know it. How do you interact with those folks? Well, a lot of it is, first First of all, I do try to make any type of a broadcast experience interactive. There's either a poll or people are, or there's a lot of chat, people are allowed to ask questions. If it's that type of audience that you just described, if possible, if it's a 
small group. Many times this happens face-to-face, conference workshop. I usually allow seven minutes to go around the room and have everybody at least name what they're doing or what they're using. Uh-huh. I don't care if it's a pencil and a grid pad, you know, because sure. in theory you could do it with that. Once I can find out what level they're on, my presentation becomes a little bit like a Geiger counter. I, I'm really looking for my needle to point at something that's working. What I'm looking for is pain points. Mm-hmm. What is it that they're working on that's just horrible? And it could be, um, you know, I'll be careful not to knock a product. Good example is this. It is possible to create cross-references in Microsoft Word. You mm-hmm. can do that. But you can only point to one target. FrameMaker can actually, in one step, can make one automatic cross-reference. So that might be the pain point I would focus on because they get a calculator in their head where they realize, wow, this would save like 100 hours a year or this would. And this gets into something, too, is that any form of technical communication, and let's, let's just think of the traditional documentation that was, used to be primarily PDF files that's now going mobile, that's actually becoming a pre-sales asset. A lot of people are checking out the documentation before they select a product, particularly software, just to see, is this going to be relevant to me? Is it going to cover anything that I'm going to do? So uh, many times, using the cross-reference example, even in mobile, that cross-reference can actually help create a guided experience. One thing I can think of that comes to mind very quickly is our, our product has a unique ability that if you import a 3D diagram, you can actually automatically generate a parts table from the 3D CAD diagram, and it's automatically hyperlinked. Mm-hmm. And then you can cut out the parts that you don't want people to mess around with, and this little table is sitting next to the diagram, and in, in PDF, it'll actually create a diagram that will rotate and wire out and shade out the part that you're looking at. So it creates a very interactive, engaging experience that makes people stick to it. Mm-hmm. And that's the type of thing where if I'm dealing with somebody who's never thought of themselves as techcom, everybody is interested in two things. What can I do to make more money for the company? And equal to that, what can I do to draw attention to myself and make myself appear to be a really important asset to the company mm-hmm. so I can progress and move further up the ladder? And many of these things will do that because chief executive officers or CMOs or whatever, they get real excited when they see stuff like this happening because it's an overnight change to something that used to be really dull that suddenly becomes a sales asset. Right. Very interesting. And those of us who write documentation think of their audience as the users stuck in solving, trying to solve a problem through the documentation. But what you're saying is that the additional audience is someone who might be interested in buying the product and wants to see what it can do. Is that a more recent yes. development? That is relatively recent. I think it's kind of a lot from social media. Not just social media. People are doing relevant things with QR codes. If you go into a box hardware store, you'll see a lot of QR codes. And some of them are quite interesting. It depends on the brand. But some of them, if it's something that requires some assembly or it's how to put tile in your bathroom, the QR code will actually bring up a very brief video on your smartphone. And if it's well-tuned, the whole point is, this isn't scary. I can sure. do it. You know, that's that's what the whole message is for people who are going to do their own hands-on. I think that's true of software and other products, too. You know, is this something I can really live with? Or am I going to need six weeks of training to figure out what XML is? You know, that sort of thing. You know, you're sort of on the ground floor with trends coming up in technical communication. What kinds of trends do you see or things that are changing or on the horizon that technical communicators need to respond to? I'd say probably the number one is what people frequently refer to it as the move to mobile. You know, in other words, we used to do paper and PDF were the primary deliverables. And I will say this, they're not going to go away. You know, I've I've met some people who think that we're going to go strictly to tablets and handheld devices. And the problem is our human brains can't hold that information without having something that you can write on or something tangible. Paper is necessary. The other thing is PDF and paper are necessary for litigation purposes because you have to have line numbers or you have to be able to say it's in the middle of page 13, paragraph 4, that this word is missing and somebody died on the heart attack table. You know? right. However, 
the, mo- the mobile is becoming more and more important as just a, sc- a consumption device. A good example is somebody in a lab coat is walking from one building to another, and they need to be able to read the precise summary version of the of uh, the drug or whatever it is they're going to be working with before they get to the meeting. Right. And our checkcom tools will allow you to filter out sections that are irrelevant and have a, a short, meaty version on mo- mobile. That's important. The second trend, final trend, I'll say, is that we're moving to intelligent content, and that's pretty much a document structured with XML and primarily with DITA. The reason for XML and DITA is not only does it force everybody to have the same structure. And not only does it also allow automatic formatting, you can move a list up three levels and it will suddenly have a bullet instead of a dash. Right. But uh, you have what's known as metadata. There's a portion of XML referred to as attributes. Just think of it as hidden values that can be accessed in different ways, including with search and search engine optimization. So basically that content can suddenly become much more intelligent. Somebody could almost create an app based on it uh, because of the intelligence that's in there. Now, that trend is not moving as fast as it should be because people are afraid of it. And when a lot of people see XML, they see a lot of code, they start thinking of sentence diagrams or some horrible experience they had at a math class. You know, there's kind of a, a visual repulsion on some people's mm-hmm. parts. It's not at all that difficult. There are patterns you master very swiftly, so XML is fairly easy to learn. I would say that within 10 years, I think virtually everything will be in XML. We were supposed to be all XML now, according to the conferences of seven years ago. Sure. But due to human nature, people have been slow to embrace it because they think, I don't want to take the time to, to learn this. So I think those two things, I think it'll be XML, intelligent content, and then going out to, uh, right now we're calling it mobile, but I'm sure that within five years we're going to have some device that's a cuff on your sleeve. If I can make a future prediction, I'm going to predict a device I haven't seen yet, but I think it's going to happen. I think rather than tiny screens like watches and rings and all that stuff, here's what I expect. I expect something that looks kind of like a fountain pen. You can carry it in your pocket, and you can lay it down, <clears throat> and it has a scroll in it, almost like a window blind, that will pull up and stay stiff, and it's completely opaque. You know, it's not backlit. It's like uh, it'll be like a very powerful, long life, full color e-ink paper that will be capable of displaying almost anything. You'll be able to watch a movie or you'll be able to read like a really good high-res Kindle. And that's the device we need. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll check back and we'll see if this iScroll comes to be. Well, thank you very much. Where can people go if they want more information about some of the things you produce? Well, my name is Maxwell Hoffman, and I have the lesser, less common Germanic spelling of H-O-F-F-M-A-N-N. Here is my email. It's uh, like M for Maxwell Hoffman. It's M-H-O-F-F-M-A-N. N, that was one N, at adobe.com. So I would say just send an email to me and then uh, preferably in the subject line, put podcast. You know, just something like, I heard you on the podcast. Could you send me the link to these videos you talked about? Could you give me a sample of one of these webinars? Because I want to know what what that format's like. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, You're doing really interesting, exciting work. So uh, we'll continue to follow what you're doing in the future. I really appreciate you appearing on the show today.